So anyway, I'm Dwayne Cross. I was here uh, for a year, approximately 2016-17, when Carmel was starting as the worship leader. And so the whole time I was here, she was the worship leader. And um, there, there's talent, uh, which is obvious. I've been to many, many covenant churches, all of them in Arizona, many in California and other places. Uh, she's the most talented uh, worship leader we have in our denomination. But it's not just that. There's, there's worship, and then there's the heart of worship. And Carmel has that uh, beautifully uh, in her life, in her heart. Uh, you should see, those of you who are on the worship team, different, they have several worship teams here, um, you know how she loves you. And you know how she loves Jesus. And it's just beautiful. So um, it's really an honor to be here on this day. But uh, you all still need to know that she's going to still be around. And uh, I'm sure they can talk her into singing once in a while up on stage as well. So anyway, you uh, brought me out of retirement in 2016. And I, I've done very poorly ever since then, staying in retirement. So uh, I, I did the, Gen or excuse me, um, uh, the Bridge Covenant Church in Gilbert for a year and then um, followed uh, David Hillis in Tucson at Oro Valley, uh, the um, Grace Covenant Church there. And so I've been retired now for about a year. So I keep getting calls from your old boss or your old pastor, um, uh, um, oh, what's his name? Yeah, Pat Stark. Yeah, how fast we forget these people. And, uh, and, but I've stayed retired for a year. And then uh, when we were here, we went on a cruise because our church at Hope gave us that as a retirement gift, right? So I'm retiring again. If you want to give us a gift again, <laughs> all good. You know, we'd uh, actually, we are going on our 50th anniversary cruise, which is our 52nd anniversary because of COVID, uh, starting uh, this little bit later in August, August uh, 20th, right? So we'll be gone for a month and that'll be great. So anyway, it's really good to be here. Uh, I see a lot of uh, friends, a lot of family, and we have to put a chip in our head every time we go to our church. Okay, is this Genesis? Is this hope? Is this the bridge? Is this grace? But this is Genesis, and I'm really thrilled to be here. So if you'll just allow me to pray uh, before the message, if you feel comfortable just extending your hands as kind of a sign of receptivity to the Word of God, I would invite you to do that. So Father, here we are, uh, your children, your family, your church. Lord, we're celebrating uh, Carmel today because she is an extraordinary young woman who loves you deeply, and we have all been touched by her ministry. Now, Father, we ask you to help us to now change our focus to uh, Jesus, the one who we worship. And I pray, Father, that as uh, we come to the Word of God, that you would lead us, that you would guide us, that you would speak to us, that you would enrich us, that you would convict us, that you would draw us nearer to Jesus. So thank you for this time we have together in your Word. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So today I'd like to talk to you about the greatest mystery in the history of the world. In seminary, we were told, we were told to kind of uh, under-promise and over-deliver. So I recognize that I'm failing that right from the outset. In fact, when I, uh, I teach a men's discipleship class on Friday mornings, and uh, I told them that I'd be preaching uh, this message and uh, one guy said, oh, you mean uh, the greatest history in the mystery of the world? You mean women? He said, he said, he said, 
No, that's the second greatest mystery in the history of the world. I'm going to tell you what the first one is today. So stay with me, and I want to take you on a journey to the past, and we'll start with uh, that um, wonderful disciple, Peter, who, along with his brother Andrew, was the first to be invited to be followers of Jesus. In Matthew 4.19, Jesus said to them, Come, follow me, and I will show you how to fish for people. And then they left their nets and followed him. Now, Peter is a wonderful story of a man who couldn't quite figure it out. So his story is very similar to mine and probably to many of you. Uh, he was a mixture of success and failure, probably your story as well as mine. I mean, he was the one who was uh, in a boat with the other disciples when the storm was coming up, and he saw Jesus walking on water, and uh, G Peter said, can I come? Of course, come out. And so he got out of the boat, started walking on water, and as soon as he took his eyes off of Jesus, he began to sink and he prayed probably the greatest prayer in the history of the world that we've all prayed, Lord, save me. And that was Peter. So in his uh, kind of brokenness. And then there was Peter who cut off the ear of Malchus, the high priest's servant. And Jesus had to do some ear surgery uh, to get around that. And it was, but it showed his enthusiasm and his desire to do anything to love Jesus. And then there was Peter who denied Jesus to a middle school girl. I mean, this was a crazy guy. And then Peter, when asked by Jesus, who am I? He said, you are the anointed one. You are the Messiah. And Jesus said, yes, that's exactly right. And then it was Peter who, when the women first discovered the empty tomb, by the way, it was the women who discovered that, right? Because they thought that the men had buried him and hadn't done it right. So they were trying to fix it, right? But they discovered that Jesus was good. And the first, they went back and Jesus said, go and tell the disciples. And what did he say? And tell Peter, specifically. The guy who had done all these wrong things. And then there was the Peter who showed up after the resurrection on the Sea of Galilee when Jesus was there fixing breakfast for the disciples. I mean, can you imagine? This is the, the new Jesus, the new body, the perfect body and he's feeding them breakfast. And he says, Peter, come here. I've got something I need to ask you. And Peter, very shy, very kind of sad and sorrowful and shameful about how he had denied Jesus, walked over to the Messiah. And he said, yes, Lord, what, what do you want? He said, Peter, do you love me? And three times he asked this question, probably because three times he denied him. But three times he asked this question. He said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Then feed my sheep. Take care of my sheep. Take care of my lambs. Three times. And Peter said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And then Peter, on the day of Pentecost, after the resurrection, Peter is there. And there are thousands of people, because they're all coming, many Jews from all over the country are coming to celebrate the Feast of Pentecost. And here, Peter is there. And he begins to preach. And he preaches with such power and such conviction of the Holy Spirit that the Bible says that 3,000 people said yes to Jesus that day. And they were speaking to them in their own languages and different languages and different tongues. And it was an incredible thing. This is the same Peter that denied Jesus. The same Peter that 
dropped into the water because he had no faith. The same Peter that cut off the ear of Malchus, the high priest's servant. This is the man and Pentecost. Now, this is the terrified, amazing, faithless, faithful follower of Jesus that we know and love as Peter, Simon Peter. He was the leader of the church. Uh, he was the bishop of, first bishop of Rome. And as most of you know, he was martyred. His head was cut off in AD 64 under the rule of Nero. But what if he hadn't have been killed then? What would Peter have thought about this movement, this brand new movement that was initiated at the day of Pentecost? What, what if he could have time traveled before he died and um, transported him to 80 AD, 16 years later? And there they just finished building the Colosseum. It took them 10 years to build it. It was a tribute to the emperors and especially the emperor Titus, who was now in charge of Rome. And every place he went in this amazing Colosseum that would seat anywhere from 50 to 80,000 people. And it was built to honor emperors and to persecute Christians and all kinds of other celebrations. Those are the two of the most fun things, right? To honor emperors and to persecute Christians. Boy, this is going to be fun today. And that's what the Colosseum was built for. When you would walk through these entrances, over the entrance there would be, praise be to Titus, the emperor. And as you walked into this place, you just said, oh, thank you for these amazing emperors that rule us and everything. So, so let's say you could uh, now transport uh, Peter from 80 AD to 313 AD. Constantine now at the Edict of Milan says that um, Christianity and all religions are now to be tolerated. Now for 300 years, Rome had done everything in their power to destroy this movement. Everything. And yet, in 313, it now became, and then shortly after that, Constantine made it the official religion of the Roman Empire. Amazing. Let's take another trip. Let's take a trip to 2016 um, in Rome. Uh, that's the first time that Sherry and I were able, because of the cruise that our church gave us, to go to Rome and to see these sites. And we walk into the Colosseum. And you know what we saw? Over these arches where it used to say, all praise to Titus. Now every one of those entrances, there's a cross. <laughs> all through the Colosseum, there are crosses everywhere. Rome is the seat of the Christian world. All of this happened from that time until this. Domitian, Diocletian, all of the persecution of all of the Christians is now the Christian capital of the world. Here's the mystery. The greatest mystery in the history of the world. How did a first century cult birthed in the armpit of the Roman Empire, and Galilee was the armpit of the Roman Empire, whose leader was rejected by his own people, and crucified the worst death possible, how did that cult survive and thrive in the face of violent, organized, state-funded resistance? Impossible. 
Nothing like it in history has ever been seen. Here's another way to say it. How did it come about that a Nazarene sect would eventually be embraced by the very empire that for 300 years sought to extinguish it? Secular and Christian authors alike have found really no answer to that mystery. Listen to Karen Armstrong. She wrote a book called The Fields of Blood. Listen to this quote. Against all odds, by the third century, Christianity had become a force to be reckoned with. We still do not really understand how this came about. Now, we as Christ followers, we say, well, you're forgetting a little factor about the movement of the Holy Spirit, right? We know that. But she claims that that is the greatest mystery in the history of the world. How did this happen? It makes no sense. There's nothing like it in history. What did God use to make this amazing miracle come true? Well, let's go back to Peter. In Matthew 16, Peter and the disciples are, arrive in Caesarea with Jesus. Now, Jesus had been kicked out of a lot of towns by this point. He'd been preaching, healing, uh, casting out demons, and people were freaked out by that. But, but people wanted Jesus to stay. It was the, uh, uh, the Jews and the Roman government that wanted him to leave. So he was constantly being kicked out of these towns. He came to Caesarea, and uh, he said to the disciples, Hey, guys, um, let me ask you a question. What's the word on the street about me? You know, what, what, what are people saying about me? He said, well, some say you're Elijah, some say you're John the Baptist. And then Peter asked, or excuse me, Jesus asked the most poignant question. Who do you say that I am? Listen to this in Matthew uh, 16, uh, verses 15 to 18. Then Jesus asked them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. One of the shining moments for Peter. Jesus replied, you're blessed, Simon, son of John, because my Father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being. Now, I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock, translated Cephas, rock, and upon this rock, and when he looked at that, he wasn't just looking at Peter, but all of these disciples, upon this rock, I will build my what? Church. And all the powers of hell will not conquer it. All the powers of hell will not conquer it. All the powers of the Roman Empire for 300 years will not conquer it. Peter, you were the rock. And he's looking at the disciples too. And he's not just looking at the disciples, but by this point, there's about 500 plus followers of Jesus. This is at the end of his life, right? And many of them women and children. And so this group, okay, you, you are the rock. You are the ones that I will build my church on. Now the word church comes from the Greek word ekklesia. And it means gathering or called out assembly or congregation. The word church never meant a building. In fact, the word for build, church being a building uh, didn't come into the Latin Septuagint when it was translated into German. Was translated The word church was translated kirke. Am I saying that right? Kirke. And uh, what that means is a church building. 
Okay, so that's where we got the idea. Oh, when the Bible says church, we're talking about this beautiful building we have here at Genesis, right? No, 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 no. He was talking about the gathered ones. That's you, whether you're here or at OBH or somewhere else, right? That's you, the gathered ones. And it was always a movement. He said, you are my gathering to Peter and the other disciples. And he's saying that to Genesis Church today. You are my gathering. You are my movement. You are the answer to the mystery, the greatest mystery in the history of the world. How do we get from point A to point B to point C to point D? It was the church of Jesus Christ. The church of Jesus Christ. I know it's wounded. I know sometimes it's broken. I know sometimes it's flawed and has failed. But it's the church of Jesus Christ that will not be defeated. It will not be conquered by the powers of hell. It will not be conquered by COVID. It will not be conquered by anything we can imagine. It will not be conquered. I believe the local church is still the hope of the world. I believe that with all my heart. I believe it. And I know those of you who are watching online, that's a beautiful thing. But we want you back here as soon as you can. We want you back here because we are what? We are the gathered ones. We are the movement of Jesus Christ. And listen to this. Nothing will stop my movement, my gathering. Nothing will stop my movement, my gathering. That's why I still believe in the church of Jesus Christ. Not just Peter, but Genesis Church and Hope Covenant Church and Grace Church and The Bridge and Paradise Valley, which is now Desert City, and all the other churches beyond the covenant that are evangelical that share the good news of Jesus Christ. It can't be stopped. It can be thwarted. It can be diminished. It can be wounded. It can be weakened. But listen to this very carefully. It cannot be destroyed. The church of Jesus Christ. Now, Jesus said, listen, I, he's, he, gave, he gave a lot of prophecies in his day, but the greatest prophecy I think that Jesus gave was this one, that the church of Jesus Christ will never be defeated. It'll never be destroyed. That prophecy is for you. That prophecy is for me. That prophecy is for Genesis Church. That prophecy is right now. Jesus predicted it, the church, and he predicted you. He predicted Genesis. My movement, my gathering, cannot, will not be stopped. So what was so remarkable about a, a day laborer, a preacher, who came onto this planet with no fanfare whatsoever? Well, when Jesus came he turned everything upside down. Everything that the world kind of believed and knew, power up here, less power down here, no power down there. Everything that the world, and I'm talking about every culture on the planet, was power over, every single one. When Jesus came, his message was, we're going to turn that upside down. Everything will change. The king of kings and the Lord of Lords bowed down and washed your feet. That's what a king does in the kingdom of Jesus. He preached on the Mount, uh, on, on the Sermon on the Mount. You know that sermon. 
I'm sure the disciples, at this point, they were getting really fired up. They were getting a lot of followers, huge crowds everywhere they went. And I'm sure the disciples, especially Judas and Peter, probably said, hey, Jesus, now's, now's the time. Let's do it. You know, let's, let's get this crowd fired up. Let's overturn the Roman Empire. Let's get the Jews out of our hair. Let's get this, thing, let's get this movement really cooking. And so Jesus said, well, I'm going to do my best. I'll get up here and I'll talk a little bit. And so Jesus got up and they were all fired up. You probably their faces were painted blue, you know, like, like uh, Kurt, what's his name? And, and, and here we go. Here we go. And he gets up there and he says, okay, blessed are the poor in spirit. What are you talking about? I said, blessed are the emperors and the leaders and the, the guns and the big guys and the people that are in charge. Blessed are those who mourn. Really? Blessed are the humble. Blessed are the hungry and thirst after righteousness. Blessed are the merciful, the pure in heart, the peacemakers. Jesus said, listen, Everything in this world is about power on top. I'm turning that upside down. Everything I believe in starts with something other than power on top. It starts with one four-letter word. It's called love. Love. Jesus said, so he gathers his disciples, kind of this uh, final time he's going to talk to them and be with them before he's arrested and, and ultimately crucified. It's in the upper room. We call it the Last Supper, but a lot of stuff was going on there. And uh, Jesus said, listen, uh, all, all, of the, um, all of the teachings, trainings, uh, commandments, uh, laws, regulations that you've all been living with all of your life, th those all ha are good and they have their place. But let me tell you, I'm going to tell you something that is above all of those things. All of them. Something that everything else comes underneath this. And this is what Jesus said. So now I'm giving you a new commandment. In the Greek, that new commandment means a brand new idea. Now I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other just as I have loved you. Don't just love each other. I mean, I love tacos. But how did Jesus love me? That's how we love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world, it's the greatest mystery that ever was, prove to the world that you are my disciples. That first Three centuries of the church, these disciples went out into the world. And I'll tell you what they had. They had no money. They had little education, if any. They had no political leverage. They had no leverage whatsoever. The only thing they had was the good news of Jesus Christ. And the only delivery system they had for 300 years was love. Not shame on you. Not, they didn't have the Bible. They had the Old Testament and they had a few circular letters from Paul. They didn't have the Bible, but they had love. Jesus said, I came and I turned this world upside down and the church of Jesus Christ came with the message of God's redeeming love, his reconciling love through the death on the cross and his resurrection. And that message is in you and it's to be in every single person on this planet. And I want you to pass that word on. You are my ambassadors. That's how the world has changed. The church changes the world. And the church is not the building. The church is you. And the church is me. And it's us taking that message that's in us into a world that is lost. And showing that not by telling them they're doing something wrong or telling them they should have a different lifestyle, but showing them the love of Jesus. That's how the world was changed. Listen to author Bart Ehrman. This is fascinating because Bart Ehrman is a classic 
non-believer. I mean, he's a, a really a bad dude in a lot of ways, but he's a very popular um, uh, author. He wrote, and this is the title of his book, The Triumph of Christianity. The guy hates Christianity, and that's what he wrote. He, he couldn't help himself when he did the research. He said, this is just the truth. I, I, I wish it wasn't, but it's the truth. Listen to what he said. Christianity not only took over an empire, it radically altered the lives of those living in it. It was a revolution that affected government practices, legislation, art, literature, music, and philosophy. I mean, this is so amazing. And on the even more fundamental level, the very understanding billions of people had about what it means to be human. That's what a non-Christian said about the Christian movement. And he was absolutely right. Jesus came and said, no, every person has worth. This is not a world understanding concept. The world did not understand that. A lot of people did not have worth. Every person has worth, dignity, value, regardless of culture, regardless of sexual orientation, regardless of the color of their skin, regardless of where they were born. Every person has that kind of dignity. And he emphasized that in the most amazing way. Paul tells what Jesus meant by this love thing. In Galatians 3, you know this. All are one in Christ Jesus. There's no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female. You do not understand how revolutionary that thought was. How upside down that thought was. Because women and children... They had had no leverage, no power anywhere in the world up until this time. I mean, they were throwaways. And you think that 1973 Women's Liberation Movement freed you ladies? No. Jesus did that 2,000 years ago. He was the one that did that. He was the one that said, no, no, this isn't even plain. Male and female, we're all one in Christ Jesus. There's none of this hierarchy stuff. We are all one in Christ Jesus. Everything in the world was turned upside down. And Jesus said, listen, from these 12 to the 500 to the 612 to the, uh, and by the time the, uh, the first century is over in uh, 8100, there was over 300,000 Christians on the planet in that area and around the, you know, the Mediterranean rim and they leaked over into uh, Euro other parts of Europe, in England, France, Germany, all the, the Christian movement was moving. Nobody could stop it. Everybody tried to stop it, but nobody could stop it. And that kept going until today, there are 2.6 billion Christians on the planet. And so you say, well, well that, how did that ever happen? The church of Jesus Christ is God's plan A. It always has been. It always will be. It's God's plan A. Brett, Bert, uh, Bart Ehrman goes on and says this. Uh, However one evaluates the merits of the movement, no one could deny it was the most monumental transformation our world was ever seen the greatest mystery in the history of the world was the church of Jesus Christ, literally by the power of the Holy Spirit, changing the world. And it's still powerful today. Listen, this movement, this gathering that we call the church, you and I, we are stewards of that movement. That movement that Jesus handed to Peter and the disciples. That gathering, that movement, this is my movement, this is my gathering, Jesus said, the church, that has passed on to you and to me. We are stewards of that movement. Those children that you saw up there for VBS, it's our responsibility to steward them into the faith. It's our responsibility to love them into Jesus. 
It's our responsibility with our neighborhood, with The Rock, with all the things that are going on in this building to do whatever we can to steward them into the movement of Jesus Christ. But here's the deal. Here's the hard part. We can choose. I mean, we can choose to be the wounded, um, poor us church, um, 30% of people that went to church before COVID no longer go to church. 30%, that's nationwide, okay? I mean, you felt it here. I felt it at every church I've been at. 30% are gone and probably aren't coming back. Uh, you say, well, what's going on? I mean, this is not good. How, how can we, what, what are we supposed to do? Well, we've got a choice how we're going to respond to this kind of message when you realize that you are the steward of the movement. One choice is simply to say, hey, listen, uh, Pastor Dwayne, you know, it's good to see you again. You know, I'll buy you a coffee, but uh, listen, I'm good. Um, you know, I said yes to Jesus when I was eight years old. Um, I bought the t-shirt. You know, I've got the barcode stamped on my forehead. I've got a big Bible, bigger than I, I, mean, I of course, it sits at home all the time because now I use my phone. But I, I've done all the things, all the steps that I need to, I'm good. Just leave me alone. I didn't need to hear this stuff about I'm a steward of this movement, but I, I'm not part of a movement. I just go to church once a week. That, that's what I do, and I'm good. I'm, I'm, I'm all covered. You can do that, or you can engage. And you can be part of the church that changed the world. I mean, I, I was, uh, again, I was your transition pastor 2016, 2017. Uh, during that time, uh, one Sunday, a friend of ours, uh, he was my former youth pastor for 13 years, uh, Brian. Uh, we brought, he came to church with us. We sat right over there. Uh, we used to sit over there. And um, Brian came. Well, and that day, he met uh, a, a beautiful young woman who um, was in the church here at Genesis. Her name is Christine. I don't forget what her last name was. Her maiden name, doesn't matter. Anyway, so those two kind of met, and they connected, and they started talking. Well, eventually, a couple of years later, they got married, and now they've been married for, what, four years? I think like that. So uh, they go to a church in Gilbert called The Grove. And The Grove one Sunday said, okay, uh, those of you that feel like God is calling you to do something other than just <laughs> sit, soak, syndrome kind of a thing, you know, you want to engage? Here's one way to do it. Uh, we're going to, taking a team of people to N Malawi, Africa. And we're going to minister to those people through the uh, ABC African Bible College and through other places. And we're, we're going to go there and we're going to make a difference in our world. And Brian and Christine went forward and said, we're, we're in. We're going to do it. Well, after a couple of weeks being there, they came back and their lives were transformed. Of course, I mean, they were transformed by the children that had, listen, had nothing and yet were filled with joy. You think your children are filled with joy if they have nothing? And, and, and they were moved by this African Bible college, the teachers there, how, how committed and dedicated they were, moved by how the Spirit of God was moving in these communities in Malawi, Africa. That's amazing. So we can choose. We can say, I'm good to go. You know, leave me alone. You know, I've got things to do. Or we can engage and be part of the body of Christ because we are ambassadors of Jesus Christ. We are stewards of the gospel. But some of you might say, but the church... It's dying, right? You can make an argument for that. I know that. In the United States and in Europe, especially in Europe, in the last hundred years, the church has gone from uh, point A to about point Z. Uh, and uh, we're seeing some of that, right, in the United States. 
Let me give you some. The next couple minutes, I'm going to throw a lot of numbers at you. Some of you engineers and number people are going to love it. The rest of you, candy crush, I understand. Give me, give me two minutes. Okay, give me two minutes. So here we go. In 1950, 95% uh, of Americans said they were Christian. Now, we, we know what that means, right? It doesn't always mean that they're, uh, you know, born again or really a Christ follower, but they saw themselves as Christians. That was in 1950. In 1990, that number dropped to 85%. Uh, April 2022, according to the Center for Study on Global Christianity, 65 to 70% of Americans claim to be Christians, or roughly 250 million out of 330 million residents of the United States see themselves as Christians. Now, all churches are declining, except for two denominations. The Assembly of God and the Evangelical Covenant Church of America. Now, we're a small church, a small denomination, but the reason that we're continuing to grow is because we have been strategic and making the main thing the main thing. And the main thing is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That thing that transformed the world through love for 300 years, we've made the main thing the main thing. That's what you're a part of. You're a steward of that. So, so you can be happy about that. But overall, the church in the United States is really dramatically falling off, especially the Gen Zers, especially the young people, teenagers, young adults, college students. We are losing them, and we've got to find a way to fix that. But that, that's one set of numbers, right? Um, so worldwide, Christianity, get this, 2.6 billion Christians worldwide out of 7.8 billion, roughly one in three worldwide are Christian. Now, another thing I need to mention is that atheism is on the decline. In 1970, there was 165 million atheists worldwide, not United States, worldwide, out of, uh, what, 13.5 billion and in 2022, 130, that's, by the way, 4.7% in 1970 of world population were atheists. In, 19, in 2022, 136 million atheists out of 7.8 billion, 1.75%. The atheists are losing their way. They're not quite sure why. Well, I think we have outlined why today. Uh, let me give you some examples. Brazil. 235 million Christians, 88% of the population, Brazil, Christian. Highest population in South America in terms of Christian. Ethiopia, 180 million Christians, 60% of their population are Christian. Ethiopia. Congo, Zaire, where the covenant has made its impact over the years. We were one of the first missionaries into then. It was called Congo. I don't know what it's called. It keeps changing. It's Congo again, I think. Anyway, Congo, Zaire, 170 million Christians. 95% of the population is Christian. And China, in spite of the intense persecution we see today, 100 million Christians in China, the movement is growing eight times faster than the population in China. Okay? So what does all that say? It all says that the church is alive and well in the world. The power of it, though, has just shifted south. Southern hemisphere. That's where the Holy Spirit is doing so much work around the world in South America, in Africa, in other places. And we have become so intellectualized, right, and so industrialized that, oh, we don't need Christianity. But the rest of the world knows that it matters. The church-wide world is alive and well, and we must be better stewards in the United States. We must be better stewards of the gospel. In Phoenix, in Paradise Valley, we must be better stewards. Now, 
listen, I, you, you can't fire me because I don't work here. So I'm, I'm going to get in your face a little bit. Um, the church of Jesus Christ is God's will for you. It's not an option. The church, if you're a Christ follower, the church of Jesus Christ is God's plan A for you. It matters. It matters when you show up in this gathering, in this movement. It matters. It matters. And God needs you to do what you were born to do, and that is to be a follower of Jesus and be the love and the light in the world that makes a difference. You are an ambassador of Jesus Christ. You are the church. You are Jesus' gathering. You are Jesus' movement, and you matter to the kingdom. Now, let me say something personal, very personal. Besides your family, there is no greater investment of your time, your talent, your treasure than the local church. And in your case, Genesis Church. Not just to attend, not just to watch, but to engage. It's time to re-engage. Now, let me just give you some real practical things as we as wrap, wrap this up. Three ways to engage. The first is this. Listen for come sit with me opportunities. Uh, about 60% of non-Christians say that if someone asked them to go to church with them, they would. Where that falls down is that we're not asking them to come to church with us. And what I'm suggesting is that don't just ask somebody to come to church with you. Uh, one in 10 will say yes, if you ask them. But if you say, hey, I want you to come to church with me. I want you to sit with me. Right here. Dave and Phyllis, Phyllis Leaf left two chairs there. They're going to ask their friends to come and sit with them. Okay. It's not just come to church sometime when you feel like it. Hey, this Sunday, I want you to come listen to our music, listen to our pastor. You know, maybe you're going through a, tr a tough time in your marriage. Maybe you tough finances. Your kids are off the rails. Something's going on. You, you listen for those come and sit with me opportunities. One out of every five or six people that you invite to come sit with you will do it. Now, those other five, you can say, okay, I did my part. I'm good to go. But listen, what if that one person out of five or six says yes, and they sit with you? And they hear the good news of Jesus from Pastor Ryan. And they hear the family of God, the gathering, the community, the movement, praising God. And let's say that they say yes to Jesus. You have just partnered with the Holy Spirit in reaching one more person for Jesus. How great is that? Listen for come sit with me opportunities. Number two, participate in a small group. Why? You know why. I don't have to tell you why. That's how you connect. You can't connect with everybody on a Sunday morning. It's not possible. Become part of a small group. Connect. I've got a men's group. I teach a Friday morning men's group. And it's been incredible. We've been telling each other our stories as we've been going through the book of Ephesians. And it's just amazing. Now these men, I know their stories. I know their families. I know how to pray for them. I feel this love and this connection with them. I never would have felt if I just had to give them a high five or a fist bump on Sunday morning. Participate in a small group. And the last thing, volunteer. The church always needs your help. Well, I'm not, I can't preach, I can't sing. Oh, be a greeter, be an usher. Uh, work in the, in the uh, what do you call it out there, the place where you eat and drink stuff, okay? D yeah, a cafe. Oh, that was hard, wasn't it, Dwayne? Yeah. yeah, do something, volunteer, be involved, do something. Because 
Remember those kids we saw up on the screen? We're the stewards of the gospel. And it's our responsibility to pass that on to them. And we do that through this movement that Jesus called my movement, my gathering, the church of Jesus Christ. And let me, along with that, let me just add one more thing. This is a kind of a magic potion. Uh, if you're new, new to marriage or you're going to be married or you've been married for a long time, Sherry and I will celebrate our 52nd wedding anniversary tomorrow. I know, I know. I was just, I was three years old when we got married. Uh, so, uh, so anyway, th- 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 this, this is a magic potion for you. Couples that get married, 53% of them will get a divorce. Okay, that's the bad news. Here's the good news. Couples that do three things together, 80% of those people will stay married. You know what those three things are? Pray together. Worship together. Serve together. There's your free gift. I wasn't going to say that. There's your free gift. Take that with you. And let me close with this. Uh, My heart is broken over the division in the church in America. A lot of it having to do with political stuff. Broken over the loss of influence. Broken over political climate. Over us being rendered to a voting block. Disagreement happens, and that's always going to happen in the church. I mean, that's one of the things about, great about the covenant. We don't have to agree on everything. But disunity is a choice. Disagreement is a natural. Disunity is a choice. In the early church, they were unified around one thing. How can we effectively pass on the good news of Jesus' life, birth, death, and resurrection? to every person we come in contact with. How is it possible that we can do that? We do it with love. We do it with love. For 300 years, the church flipped the script. And yeah, during the dark ages, we kind of got off course and everything. But in the last 20 years, I've heard this message over and over again. It's about loving God and loving each other. That's how the world was changed. And that's how it can change again. Against all odds, the church can change the world again. So here's the question I want to leave with you when you think about all the things that we've talked about today. For me, in my community, in my world, outside this community of faith, this movement, this gathering, what does love require of me? What does love require of me? When I'm talking to my husband or my wife, my children, my students, people I go to school with, the people I work with. What does love require of me? Because this movement, this gathering that changed the world, that's the greatest mystery of all time, happened because people like you and me said, what does love require of me? Would you bow your heads with me, please? Father, sometimes we're amazed at your gospel. And then we think about what actually happened and we stand amazed that this thing ever worked. That this thing ever got off the ground. That it was that movement of the Holy Spirit through God's people that loved others that changed the world. Father, we are stewards of that movement and we are called to be that movement and to show that movement to our children, our grandchildren, and all the people outside of this building and outside of our lives. Father, help us to be that movement, to be that gathering. Lord, I pray for Genesis Church. I pray, Father, over each and every one of these lives 
I pray, Lord, that they would engage once again in the church of Jesus Christ in a way that we will see the world turned upside down in Paradise Valley, in North Phoenix, that we will see the movement of the Holy Spirit begin in this church and other churches and once again change the world. That's our call, Father, and that's what you have led us to do and be. We just pray these things in the precious name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Amen.